How many plan to come? Okay, good, good. All right, let me just tell you about it. Just this week, we planned in, in, uh, in partnership with Crossway Community Church on the south side. Sweet Communion is joining with Crossway, and we planned a prayer walk this afternoon at 2 o'clock, and it is to pray for our community and for our neighborhood. If you'd like to join us, we're going to start at Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Drive in Hadley. There's a, a Walgreens on that corner. We'll meet there. We'll find a place where we can get together, and the two churches will show our, our unity in Christ as we go and simply pray in our community. This is not a protest. Uh, this is not a political movement or statement. This is prayer. Prayer is mighty in all those things, and uh, we've come to pray for the concerns in our community, and so if you'd like to join us, uh, if you want to be a part of that as our church, then feel free to do that. If you're not a part of our church and you'd like to join us, as long as you are, um, are, are going along peacefully with us and observing the guidelines that we set, we welcome you to come and be a part of that. Two o'clock this afternoon. <clears throat> our scripture reading for this morning wraps up our study, or wraps up our reading in Job. We'll follow up with one more message next week on Job before a special message on Father's Day the following week. So Job chapter 42, do you realize in our morning worship we have read through the entire book of Job here in public in service? And so that's a good thing to do. And uh, I invite you to join, open your Bibles to Job 42, and we'll read just that one chapter. That just seems like so easy for us. We've been reading four chapters at a time, but now just focus on Job 42. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible here, our ushers have Bibles available. They'll bring one to you. Just raise your hand. And of course, we are reading from the ESV version as been our practice here at Sweet Communion. After the reading of God's word here, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then the preaching for the message today, and then after the message, we'll have a special music by our choir. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these things to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. 
And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had, he had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Kerenahapak. And in all the land there was no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And Job died, an old man and full of days. May God bless the understanding of his word today. Give us understanding as we preach through this passage. If you would remain standing with me and bow at this moment for our time of prayer. We thank you, Father, for your grace, your love, and your mercy, for your protection of us. We thank you for allowing us to gather here today to worship, to praise you. We pray and thank you that that freedom may continue, and whether it continues or not, that we will be steadfast in proclaiming your truth regardless of the environment around us and because of the environment around us. Bless our testimony, Lord, that we might be true and faithful to you, that we might love and support and encourage one another in our walk with you as you would have us to do together, not individually, but together as a body. And so, Lord, we pray for the preaching of your word today that you might open our understanding so we'll receive your truth and that we will practice your truths in our lives and be um, ob obedient to you in all that you have for us to do. We pray for the sick amongst us, Lord. We have many who are affected by disease and illness. We pray um, for... for um, each one that we have in our midst, Lord, that have just different ailments. And we just pray that you would uphold them, that you would encourage their hearts. Sister Minnie Kathy, we pray for, Lord, who has a long time has suffered, and we just pray for her comfort and her relief. Sister Lola Spears, we pray for her as well, Lord, that you would watch over and bless and encourage her. Pray for my wife Donna as she continues uh, her battle, that you would just be with her, encourage her heart, and, and bless her. We pray for my dad, Lord, as he continues in his illness, that you would just watch over and bless him. Be with and bless all those who care for these, Lord, and that you might enable them to show love. Uh, you might show your love through them. They might be faithful uh, in ministering to, to these, and we just pray your blessing on them. There are others, Lord, who are in our midst that have different ailments. We pray for Brother Mac Ho that you would just continue to sustain him and watch over him, Lord, and, 
and uh, several others, Lord, that you would just continue to, to bless and be with. Bless the, the spiritual um, state and strength of this church, Lord, so that we would function as light and salt and that we would have a testimony that is uh, consistent with your truth and that uh, we might be faithfully getting out your word with our mouths and with our lives as well, Lord. Bless our efforts this afternoon as we pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to um, function in the community without disruption and uh, allow your, your word and your truth to be shown in uh, how we handle ourselves and, and what we do as we show concern and love for this community. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity now to serve, and we pray that we'll use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Please be seated. So we come to the last chapter in Job, and it has been a fruitful study uh, for me. I, I trust for you as well. Whenever the Word of God is, is preached, um, there's something that God wants us to know and something he wants us to learn and something that he wants us to live out as a part of his truths. And next week, I'm going to spend some time. I want you this week to think about what you have learned through the study of Job. And I'm going to preach on that Sunday, the things that this study should teach us and that we should remember and uh, keep in mind. Uh, so I want you to think about that during the week and compare to um, what I share with on, on Sunday. Um, we have seen Satan's attack on Job, and we've seen that God has allowed this attack, and he's allowed this for his purpose. And Job has shown himself faithful uh, during this attack. And while he was suffering, three of his friends got together and, and, and sought to give him comfort. And so we saw a long section, chapters 3 all the way through uh, 37, where Job is in conversation uh, with his friends, and he's battling them because they make accusations that, that uh, he challenges. And, and, and so after those three friends, one last friend comes on the scene, and he kind of puts things in perspective and helps us to see a part of Job that we need to see and that God is working on Job. And so we, we've seen that. Then last week we saw the section where God speaks. Job has been longing for a conversation with God, and God begins to uh, open up and to let Job know uh, what he's thinking and what he's doing. And in fact, it's not so much a question and answer because Job doesn't interact much. Job stands and listens to God. And we learn much about God. Now today, we're going to see what Job learned from that conversation, and he summarizes it in, in just two brief points. I learned that. When you, when you learn something and when you know something, you should be able to summarize what it is you know. If you can't put it down briefly and succinctly, you probably haven't learned it. If it takes you a long time to say what it is you learned, then maybe you, you have to relearn it. What has Job learned in this conference with God. Look at Job chapter 42, verse 1. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's what Job has learned. Two things, that God can do all things 
and that no purpose of his can be thwarted. Let's take those separately. God can do all things. He is, he is uh, able, he is strong, he is almighty in fact, and there is nothing that he cannot accomplish, nothing that he cannot do. Now, some would challenge that there's some things that God can't do. There's some things he will not do. Some things that doesn't go along with his character and his person. That certainly is true. God himself says that he cannot lie. That's how he is. That's his character. But Job learns that God is all-powerful. And to mix that with the next statement, nothing that he purposes will be thwarted. None of his purposes will be thwarted. In other words, God accomplishes all that he desires to accomplish, and he does that. If you look at the, the story of Job, he does that through all the parties that are acting, including those who don't intend to glorify God like Satan himself, and to, including those who are mistaken in what they say like Job's three friends. They don't speak what God would want them to speak. And yet, God, and through, also through Job's sufferings, through the challenges in his life, all of this, God is able to accomplish the purpose that he has. I want to tell you, that's good news. That means in the chaos of life, God is still functioning. He's still in control, and he's still working out his purpose. Now, you and I might question and, and, and not understand what that purpose is. God, why did you bring COVID-19 into the world? Why, why do we have this unrest in our city over racial divide? Why do we have those kind of things going on? But what I want to say is God uses all the things that he allows to accomplish his very purpose, and his purpose will not be thwarted by anything. That's good news because no matter what Satan does, it cannot alter the purpose and the carrying out of God's will throughout the whole world. And so it is good to know God is, in fact, in control. You may not understand what he's doing. You may not understand his timing. Job, in fact, says, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. But one thing I learned now is God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control. And his power and sovereignty, his rule and his control is accomplishing exactly what he desires to accomplish. We like to ask, well, how come I'm not rich? How come I'm not beautiful? How come I don't have this or I don't have that? You see, you're not God. And it's not God's purpose to put you in a place of your desire, but he's going to give you what he desires for his purpose and for his glory. The good thing is that puts us in the good. <laughs> he takes care of us. doesn't mean that we won't suffer. Job suffered, but he suffered under the hand of God, orchestrating everything for his purpose and his glory. The first six verses shows Job's confession. He starts with what I've learned. If you seek to confess something and repent of something, you should be able to say what you learned, what you did wrong. Not just I'm sorry, but come to understand why you need to confess. 
why you need to turn from what you have done and be able to state that and admit that and have the humility to state it before God and before others. So Job says, I've learned this. Then he humbles himself. And he says in verse 3, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He uses God's own words in the previous chapters. And God told Job, you're trying to give counsel and wisdom, but you don't have knowledge. You don't understand. Job says, you know, God, you are right. Have you ever said that to God? You are right. God knows it. He doesn't need you to pat him on the back. He doesn't need your support. He needs you to humble yourself and admit and align yourself up with him, to align yourself under God. He wants you to humble yourself. He wants me to humble myself and admit that God is the one that knows, and I am often in the dark. He says, counsel without knowledge. Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. He says, I did not understand. I did not know. Job admits this. If you don't admit that you don't understand things, if you don't admit that you don't know, then you haven't humbled yourself before God. You know, some of us want to go to Bible college so we never have to admit that. Some of us want to learn and get educated so that we don't have to say to anybody, there's something I don't know. That's a foolish act. That the act of coming close to God, as Job shows here, as he begins to engage with God, as he, he comes close, he begins to confess, he begins to repent. The closer you are to God, the more you will see of your sinfulness and the more you will humble yourself before God. Those who claim to live lives, long lives, serving God and are not humble have not truly and are not repented and experiencing God in the way that God would have us to experience him. Job humbles himself. I did not understand, he says. I did not know. Verse 4, he says, make it known to me. Lord, show me. Open my eyes. Open my understanding. Verse 5, I, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. It's been told to me by others, he says, but now I've experienced for myself. Sometimes God takes us through experiences just so, so that we can know for real. It's one thing to read about something or to hear about something that someone else has experienced. And sometimes we think that we know. But when we've experienced ourselves, that's a whole nother level of us learning and a whole nother level of us understanding. We need to be humble. There are things that we heard about, but we haven't experienced and we don't fully know about yet. Job says, now I've experienced God in, in a new way. God, God has shown Job more of himself through the suffering that he's gone through. You realize that? Suffering will teach us something and draw us closer to God if we allow, if we humble ourselves. More so than some other things blessings might do. God can use them both, and he does, and he did in Job's life. Will he do that in your life as well? Do you reject the bad things? Do you reject 
the, 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 the unfortunate things that happen to you as if they're mistakes and that they should, have, should not have happened and you should have experienced life free from that? Or do you acknowledge that God is working in that too? And he has something there that he wants me to learn. And he wants me to humble myself in the midst of those experiences and rely on him. We so often want to just sail by ourselves and say, God, I got this. God often says, no, you don't got this. You need me. And you need to humble yourself to let it be known that you need me. I need thee every hour, the song says. When we get out of that mode, we're in trouble. Job says, I've experienced this for real. Because of his experience, what does he say in verse 6? Therefore, I despise myself. As part of repentance, it says, I see myself for who I am, and I begin to see God for who he is. And what that does, it just draws a contrast, a stark contrast between God in his glory and his magnificence and things that he's doing that I don't understand and me in my own sinfulness. It humbles me and it exalts God. That's part of our repentance and confession experience. It's to glorify God. You notice when we worship we sing songs that lift God up and set him where he belongs. And we can't help but to see the, the stark contrast, the difference between who he is and who we are. We can't help to see that we are not there yet of where he wants us to be, and we will never be on his level. And that, that sets us in the right tone, in the right attitude, in the right perspective that we need. And Job says, I've come to that. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I repent and I show expressions of that repentance outwardly. That's what the dust and ashes for. People, put, put, they wore clothes and they put things on their face to show everyone else that they have humbled themselves. So it wasn't this secret repentance that, you know, well, I repent, but I ain't going to tell you what I repented of. Or I repent down in my heart, but I'm not going to admit to you that I'm in need and I'm dependent on God and that he was right and that I was wrong, but I'll never share that with you. Job had come way past that point. He says, I repent. And I'm willing to openly repent to God and do it in a way that others can see. Repent. That's what he does. The next section in chapter 42 is verses 7 through 9, where God addresses Job's friends. After the Lord has spoken these words to Job, well, what words are those? That's what we looked at last week when he told Job more of who he was. <laughs> he started asking Job questions like, where were you when the foundations were, were put in place? He started to ask, he, he wanted Job to see that God is God and Job himself is just a man. Now he speaks to Job's friends. So it says this, after the verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, 
My anger burns against you and against your two friends. God doesn't hold any punches, does he? He says, I'm upset with you. I got a problem with you. And let me tell you exactly what it is. Now, we read through all that long section. In fact, in fact most of the book of Job is about that, that conversation that Job has. A friend number one speaks, then Job answers. Friend number two speaks, then Job answers. Friend number three speaks, then Job answers. That's round one. Then they went through the same thing round two and the same thing round three. And what God says to these three friends, and what was their purpose? Their purpose was to counsel and to comfort Job. To counsel and to comfort. Now, I'll spend time with this because as believers, we have that function often with each other. And so we need to understand what the friends did right and what the friends did wrong. God has put us in a place. He uses Job's friends for the purpose of counseling and comforting. See, some of us think that being friends means just saying nice things all the time. Girl, you like my dress? Oh, that's beautiful. Some of us think that the opposite is true. We all just smash and combat people all the time. You like my dress? Oh, that dress ugly. But in fact, the purpose then is to counsel and comfort. You know we need them both. We need them both. We need encouragement, and we need structure and guideline and help. Each one of us needs that. And God has set friends in Job's life, and he's saying to them, y'all missed the point. You missed the point. In other words, friends, it's not for you to do what you like or what makes you feel good or what you think it make your friend feel good or what they like. It is for you to counsel and to comfort, listen, by the word of God. By the word of God. Not your opinion. It's hard for me to get on Facebook and to get on the internet and hear all the nonsense that's going on there. It's not about your opinion and what you feel and what you think and, and, and your experience. It's about the word of God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He sets what things ought to be, and we ought to follow his path and his way. So the purpose of Job's friends were to do that. Take Job through this trying experience and bring some counsel and some comfort from the word of God to them. talking to an individual who's right here today who had a death in their family and said, well, Pastor, I've been asked to come and talk to my family. Great. That's what a friend is, to counsel and to comfort. So you have that death, and they need comfort, don't they? They're going through extreme loss, but they need counsel as well because one day they're going to face that time where they're going to come to the end of their life. And if all you tell them is pleasantries and don't prepare them to face that reality, what good is that comfort that you've given them without the counsel to know how to face that truth? So the purpose of those friends is the same purpose that we have today, and I think there's much for us to learn. Look what God says to them. He rebuked them. 
he says, my anger burns against you and your two friends. So he's speaking to that group of three. For you, here it is, you have not spoken of me. You have not spoken of me. If they hadn't spoken of God, what were they speaking of? Their own opinion. Whatever they conjured up in their own mind, maybe it was popular opinion of that day. Maybe it was just their own educated guess and thinking. But God says, I don't want none of that. You have not spoken of me what is right. So if we're going to counsel someone, we need to know what God says. What is right. What does the word of God say? What does God himself say of what is right? Not an opinion poll of what others think and how will they feel about me if I do this or don't do this. What does God say of what is right? And that's what God charged these three friends. You have not spoken to me. My anger burns, he says. You have not spoken of me what is right. Now, we read through a lot of this stuff sounds good. They wrongly applied general truths to Job, and they misapplied. And God says, in doing so, you have not spoken of me what is right. They basically said, look, Job, if there is hurt and trouble and pain and suffering in your life, God is paying you for your personal sin. And God says, no. That ain't right. And they, they, they made these generalizations. The godly don't suffer that way. And God always punishes the ungodly. Those are generalizations that just are not always true. Jesus Christ suffered. He was the godly one. He suffered death, brutalized, killed. We use a statement today, I can't breathe, right? Jesus was put on a cross, put to death by cruel, vile people. Had done absolutely no wrong. Absolutely no wrong. So this thought that the true righteous do not suffer wrong is just wrong. Also the thought that those who are wicked, God punishes and punishes all the time is just wrong. Some of them get away with the wrongdoing. He said, why does God allow that? Because of the sinful world that we live in, that's, that's what happens. I want to say, who, who got indicted for Jesus' death? Who went to court? Who went to jail for that action? Who was charged for that offense by man? Did man's justice come in at all in that regard? No. God's did. God's did. God's justice came in this way. God says, I made him to be sin for you so that he would pay for your sin and I'd be satisfied. And if you trust in him, you go clear because he's already paid it. God's justice came in. And so the wicked are not always punished here in this life. They often get away with it. Sometimes they go to their death getting away with it. But it ain't over yet. <laughs> it ain't over yet. 
God's justice will prevail, but God has all eternity to work that out. And we just get a little snapshot of our 70, 75, 80, 90 years or whatever God gives us. And so we don't see it all. So Job says, I didn't understand. I didn't know. And God says to his friends, you should have known. You should have understood better. My word tells you things that you need to, to search through and find out before you try and counsel someone else. And you missed the mark. You have not said of me what is true. And so he tells them that they need to do something. But first I want to see, I want you to see something here. There's something very clear. Well, um, I think it comes out as, as you look at it, and that is this. God has forgiven and restored Job before the blessings come. Now, we're still in this section. Remember, the blessings will start to verse 12, is it? verse 10. Verse 10, we see God restores the fortunes of Job. But right now, God has restored Job spiritually. Job has repented to God, he's confessed to God, he's turned, and now God has restored him. Look how we, we can see how God has brought Job back in right favor and relationship and fellowship with him. He says, even while he's talking of Job's friends, my anger, middle of verse 7, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. He's talking to Eliphaz. For you have not spoken of me what is right. What's the next statement? As my servant Job has. As my servant Job has. I want you to notice something that, that sticks out to me. In verse 7, whenever, in this chapter, verse chapter 42, and also chapters 1 and 2, whenever God refers to Job, he refers him in a certain way. And whenever the narrator kind of the writer of the book, the human kind of author who's, who we would think of as a narrator, when he refers to Job, he refers to Job a certain way. And so the narrator, check it out with me. Go back to chapter 1, Job chapter 1. Verse 1. The narrator is speaking here, right? There's a man in the land of us whose name was... Job, just Job, right? And he talks about him. Now let's look at what God says, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered and, and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Whenever God refers to Job, he says, my servant, Job. There he is in chapter 1. Look again in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, um, and the Lord said to, sir, said to Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? My servant, Job. He always refers to Job as his servant. Now go to chapter 42 with me, verse 7. We're going to read verse 7 and 8. All to, we're going to read it uh, together there uh, in its entirety. In fact, why don't you read with me? If you have the ESV, Job chapter 42, we're going to read verse 7 and 8. Can we do that? Let's start. 
after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. You notice that four statements, three in verse eight and one in verse seven, when God says, my servant Job. And then three more times in verse eight, my servant Job, my servant Job, my servant Job. See, Job is in fellowship with God. And God sees him, even though he has sinned and God had to work on him, and now he's, he's repented of that sin, God is receiving him. He says, you're my servant, Job. You're mine, first of all. You belong to me. Secondly, you're a servant, is that you are one who is submissive to me, humble, under my direction. I tell you and you do, and we have a relationship. I am Lord, you are servant. That's not a demeaning term. Angels themselves call themselves servants of the Most High. They're saying, look, we stand under the Most High. There is no one higher than the Lord that we have. So it's nothing demeaning to be a servant under that Lord. Jesus Christ himself considered himself a servant of God. Job is called by God as my servant. Job. So God didn't just call him Job. He says, my servant, Job. That's my boy. That's him. He belongs to me. We're linked together. He is my servant. There's a special relationship that Job has, and God points that out. Like I said, three times in that same verse, he says to his friends, y'all didn't do right like my servant Job did. Y'all didn't speak according to what I said as my servant Job did. I want you to go, and I want, I want to have him pray for you. That's my servant, my servant Job. All during this time, God has not closed his eyes on the life of Job. God didn't take a break and walk away. Job was going through all this turmoil. I don't know what time element we're talking about here, how long it's been, and I don't know what's happening in your life right now. But I know this. If you belong to God, God does not turn his face away from his servant. He still counts you as precious. Just because you're going through suffering doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. God wants you to know that. He wants you to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. There's counsel and comfort that comes from the word of God. The counsel is you will experience hardships and trials in your life. They're a part of life. God has his purpose in them. They're not just random. He knows what he's doing. And he will be with you during this time. And he holds you in high esteem, my servant, Job. He rebukes Job. He challenges Job. But he still tenderly refers to Job 
my servant. Notice how he exalts Job among his friends. He says to friends, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to my servant Job. He will pray for you. This is another, another indication that Job's relationship with the Lord is fully restored. Because God says to Job, I want you to pray for your friends. <laughs> you are now the intercessor, the one who can reach me. They can't talk to me directly. Not until they repent. And you're going to help them in that in that that way of repentance by praying for them. And then God says this, because I will hear the prayer of my servant Job. I will hear that prayer. Isn't that a blessing? Job has this, this relationship and this fellowship with God that God says, I'm going to use that to restore your friends. You realize Job is the one that went through the hardships. But God is using him as an instrument to reach his friends, to bring them to the place that they need to be. Verse 9, so Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nemethite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So it says there, Job prayed for them, and God forgave them because of Job's prayer. God answered Job's prayer and brought forgiveness and restoration to Job's three friends. That's a good thing, isn't it? Verses 10 through the end of the chapter. I think it's the area that most people smile on and, and, and want to pay close attention to. But I think the last section that we just spoke of is the most impactful because of Joel's relationship with God and Joel's relationship with his friends and how God has worked and restored that. This is just kind of a kind of thing that God does, right? When he restores Job, he abundantly blesses. Now, the restoration took place in chapter 7, I mean, verse 7 through 9. But 10, we see the, what we call the physical ramification or the physical outworking of this blessing in Job's life. In other words, you can be blessed eternally and, and have right fellowship with God and that all restored. And that's really all you need, but God tacks on a little bit more at the end, doesn't he? And we see that. He says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God doesn't have to do that. And he could bless Job without that. But in his grace and his abundant grace, he gives to Job these things that can be seen. And it's a blessing. I want you to see something too. It says, then came, verse 11, Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house and they showed him sympathy and comforted him. That was their purpose, to show sympathy 
and comfort. Job, Job needed that. It's like now things are well and the party is back on, right? <laughs> the fellowship is back on. I kind of notice in our community when, when so, so many people have observed all of this stay-at-home policy and the social distancing, now we get a chance to relax that a little bit and people are getting together more. That's a good thing. That's the way things ought to be. And that's kind of what's happening in Job's life. But uh, to be cynical, you also notice that, you know, Job got the good life now and all his friends come back. Don't you kind of see that? <laughs> Where were those friends before? I don't know. Only three were brave enough to actually try and comfort and challenge Job, but now they come all out of the woodwork now that he's blessed. I don't know. That's kind of the nature of folks, ain't it? But Job ain't mad at him. He just, uh, he just celebrates what God has given him. So they, they come, they eat bread, they party in his house, and, and they show sympathy, and they comfort him. But it's a, it's a very important uh, theological point that's given in this verse, and it's this. They show sympathy and comfort him for all the evil that Satan had brought upon him. No, it doesn't say Satan, does it? Mm-mm. It doesn't say Satan. It says they show sympathy and comfort him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon them. Oh, wait, wait a minute. That's got to be a, be a mistake, a misprint, right? No. The Lord brought this on him. In fact, he said to his wife, shall we enjoy the good that the Lord gives and not share in the evil? In other words, God is in control when things befall us that are unfortunate. God's in control of that. That's why some people are shaking their fists at God. But we need to recognize that God allows the good and the evil to come into our lives. So when we trust him, this is what Job has learned and is learning, that God, I'm in your hands and I'm good with them both. Because you'll walk me through, you'll help me through. And you got a purpose in this. It's not just random and come out of nowhere. It seems like that. See, Job didn't hear the narrative. Job, Job didn't know what was the conference going on in heaven between God and Satan. But that's why he said, I didn't know. I don't understand. But we've been given that information. And we understand what God's word says, that he is in control in all things. And so we can trust him. That doesn't mean that we won't experience hardship. In fact, it says it comes, and it often comes, it comes from his hand. He brings it. But we're comforted that he has a purpose in it, and he knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Now it makes a point in verses 12 on that God restored and doubly blessed Job. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. When you go to chapter 1, you'll see Job's possession that he had started out with 7,000 sheep. Now he's got 14,000 sheep. He started off with 3,000 camels. Now he got 6,000 camels. He started off with 500 yoke of oxen. Now he has 1,000 yoke. He started off with 500 female donkeys. Now he has five, excuse me, he started off with 500 female donkeys. Now he has 1,000. He also has seven sons and three daughters. Someone said that's seven and three. <laughs> seven is, 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 is the number for perfection in God's creation. He created in six days and on the seventh he rested seven days. And so uh, 
we see the number seven perfection. You know the number three for Trinity. And I'm not making this up. The, the Bible does use numbers for a reason. There's symbolism in it. The number three is the, the, the number for, for God, the number of the Trinity. And you look at perfection and Trinity, you put them together, you get ten. God, God is saying, man, I'm, just be, I'm being good. I'm being gracious. I'm blessing you. And everything that you have is a symbol or symbolizes my blessing. Seven sons, three daughters. Now, it says in chapter 1 that the, his family was killed with the servants. So, we're not told the detail of how this takes place. But we don't need the detail of that. We just know that when Job has come from this trial, God has tremendous blessings for him. And it stands to say, Job... God is pleased with you, and you have stood the test. You have stood the test. You have some things to learn. I brought you through this process for your learning. I brought this for the learning of others as well. Your friends needed to learn some things, and Satan needed to learn some things. <laughs> you know, when Job said, I learned two things, there's nothing that God can't do, and no, none of his purposes can be thwarted. Satan is like, Argh! I wish I could. I'm still trying. But everything Satan tries to do to thwart God's purpose, God turns on him and uses it for his good. Uses it for God's own purpose. What do I mean by that? Satan tries to, to, to bring some mess, give you the, the perfect example. Jesus Christ living and walking on earth, he had performed all these miracles. People began to believe on him. Satan said, I can't have that. I got to shut this down. I got to put this man away. I got to kill him. I got to take him out of the picture. And so he works and he schemes and he works in the hearts of those in leadership. And he says, I got a plan. I got a scheme. And oh, am I excited about this one? I'm going to take him out. I'm going to use his own people to take him out. And since his own people won't, won't finish it, I'm going to use the Roman government that I've created to finish the job that his people want done. And so the people, they, they, they come together. It's something to me about unison. When people come in, in unity together, it's not always godly. Satan brings a unity as well. So he brings all these people together. And you know, when they were at, were at the feast and, 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 and Pilate says, what do you want me to do? with this Jesus, and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They, they were all in unity. What do you want me to do with the, the robber and the thief and the, the murderer of Barabbas? Oh, let him free. But Jesus, we want crucified. So Satan was working his scheme, and he planned it all, and, and, he, and, 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 and he had him crucified. He, he put him on a cross, and he had him killed, and, and, and Satan came, well, wait, hold it, by the way, you know, he said he was going to rise again, so we better put some guards at the tomb so make sure that, that, that the, uh, 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 see, they didn't believe what Jesus said. They said, make sure that his disciples don't come and steal his body and claim that he rose again. So let's put some guards to guard the tomb. God says, that's exactly what I want. I want you to make sure that nobody stole the body because when I bring it about, when I make it happen, it's going to be clear what I've done. And so he uses Satan's wickedness to bring Jesus to the cross, to crucify him. By the way, in the Old Testament, God had already prophesied that that was going to happen. 
He has set it in place way back in Genesis when, when Adam and Eve sinned and they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. God says, that's not sufficient. I'm going to give you uh, coats of skin. And it means that a, a, an animal had to be killed. His skin had to be taken to clothe Adam and Eve. God was setting the scene that to cover for sin, atonement of a live, innocent body has to be paid. Jesus is that live, innocent body who gave his life. God is the one that orchestrated this plan in spite of Satan's evil schemes. In fact, he uses Satan's evil schemes to bring about his purpose. So nothing can thwart the purpose and plan of God. That's so good to know. You should walk away from this truth knowing that if I am a child of God, if I am a servant of God as Job has, I can walk confidently knowing God's love for me and that he's working his purpose in my life. If you're not a child of God, you ought to be scared. You ought to be afraid. But God ought to open your heart to be faithful, to say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the forgiveness that comes in trusting in you. I want to know that faith and that abidance that, that, that I get from, from knowing that you are working in every part of my life. Make me your child. Make me your servant. I humble myself and I repent and I turn to you. I pray that you have a proper response from God's word today. Choir, would you prepare to come? How's God challenging your heart? How's he working in your life? The trials that you face, are you learning something in it? Can you state what God is teaching you? Have you humbled yourself? Are you confessing to God and repenting? Are you looking and trusting in God to walk faithfully in his purpose and his way? Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word preached today. We pray that you speak to our hearts, draw us to a place close to you, where we'll confess our own sins and turn to you. We'll trust you. We'll walk with you. We'll rely on your purpose and your plan, your sovereign work, that no one can thwart your purpose. We'll rely on that. So I pray, Lord, that you speak to hearts, that you will guide them to yourself. May they make it known that you're working. May they share with someone before they leave today that you've spoken to them, they're listening, and that they will obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.